is expecting you. Yes, welcome to Thoughts from Aunt Wu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today, we will finally be discussing the finale of Avatar The Last Airbender. We made it to the finale. Yes, today we will be discussing part one and two of the finale, Sozin's Comet, parts one and two, and talking about specifically those two episodes, and then we will be moving in quickly into the next two parts, and then we will be done and ready for Korra, who's excited. Today, something like that. Joining me as... Always are my lovely panelists, Charles and Corey. So, yes. So let's do a little housekeeping at the start. We will be talking about the finale kind of in pieces. We're going to talk about the first two episodes today, mainly in an attempt to not have this podcast be unlistenable as a five-hour-long Craziness. I know some of you might be interested to hear that, but we don't think it's going to be our best work. So we're going to condense our thoughts and really talk about these first two episodes on their own. And then we will talk about the finale, the final two episodes um, in the next episode after this. Um, I think this is just the best way to do things. That being said, the finale of Avatar is certainly one cohesive unit. It's four technical episodes of television, at least as of when it aired on Nickelodeon, but it's so much so of the unit that it is considered one episode on Netflix, one 92-minute episode, now that the show is out on Netflix. So we are going to be talking about the finale as a whole throughout this whole, uh, this entire thing. Um, today, our primary focus, of course, will be on these two episodes and, and breaking down the individual scenes within them. But as we do here at Thoughts Want Woo, we are talking about everything. Second bit of housekeeping. As we are coming to the finale of Avatar, we are very quickly moving into the next set of materials, the comics, uh, The Legend of Korra, and the newly released uh, Kiyoshi to Kiyoshi novels. There will be spoilers for those things. As always, we will talk about everything when it comes to the entire canon. That being said, I understand that with hardcore Avatar fans, even though many, I'm sure many of you have watched uh, Avatar, many of you watch Korra, Kiyoshi, the Kiyoshi novels are maybe less uh, so. So I will put, at least mention, when I'm going to talk about those things and keep those discussions contained to a specific part so that if you would like to skip them, if you don't want to hear anything about the Kiyoshi novels, you can skip that. Also, I know some of our panelists here have yet to finish those two books, so I don't want to spoil them for, foil that for them. That being said, we are at the finale of Avatar, so I guess for the final time in the Avatar The Last Airbender, I will ask your initial thoughts going into the finale, Sozin's Comet. Charles, let's go. It's, uh, it's a doozy, this one. I mean, for all, for all our qualms about the, um, about the final resolution of the Ozai storyline, uh, I can't help but, you know, enjoy all of the aspects of this finale. Right? The uh, I, 
granted, you know, it's four parts, and I might not be spacing them part apart correctly, but things like the retaking of Bossing Say, um, Zuko's kind of completion in his magic in Azula, her unraveling the... Uh, we'll talk about the Lion Turtle, which I probably don't have a big, as big an issue with as the other uh, panelists here, but I, mean, I just think it's a really good finale, and I'm just thinking of like season one and two of the next series, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna be a little disappointed when we get there, honestly. Yes, yes, we will, but we are not quite there yet. So, Corey, your final initial thoughts here for now, am I am I giving it to you for the entire finale or just parts one and part? Yeah, the entire. I mean, whatever you want. You know, we're going to keep this pretty loose, but we're going to keep. We're, I mean, we're primarily focusing on parts one and two. So, if so, you have stuff that's specific to the, the last two episodes, um, we can hold off on those. So, I actually I loved part one and part two, and part, it's funny. Part one, and I guess even part two especially, gets me into the mindset that I wasn't on when I watched the show the first few times, and I think we've like myself even throughout the podcast is kind of like complaining about the ending where i actually am more accepting about how the show like ultimately ended with the conclusion of the fire lord and ang because in part one especially when like ang snapped it was such like an emotional like conflicting scene and i think like it really ended the best way where like ang can keep his like soul and like who he is as a person completely intact like the first episode part one is very playful and jovial and had a lot of humor in it um and part two was more it started getting a little bit more grounded um but ultimately i I thought this was a first really good like like first half of the entire finale the entire finale really comes together it it brings everything together what makes avatar good between the humor and the, the beautiful fight choreography I thought in part one the fight between uh, Zuko and Aang when they were training was again just really good I think in part one and part two it's some of Aang's best work I really am digging what you know Aang is going through like emotionally and ha- what he has to look and reflect on inward and uh, ultimately I again I uh, phenomenal it, it ties it ties everything together and sets up for a, such a good resolution in part three and part four. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Charles kind of hinted in his initial thoughts that he probably has less of a problem with some of the things in this finale than at least I do. And we, we've certainly talked about the finale about our many times in our, in our friendship. And with that said, I want to preface this with a couple of important things to note. The finale of Avatar The Last Airbender is incredibly well done. It is an incredible testament to how well they put together this show that they landed this plane. And we here at Thoughts From Aunt covered a different series that was a long-running fantasy that absolutely did not land its plane. Even if Corey might defend it, the Game of Thrones finale is pretty much accepted to be a complete and total failure. And that is absolutely not the case with this. The finale of Avatar is incredibly well done. Each individual episode within these, this four part are really astoundingly good. 
And in many ways, the, the finale of Avatar is a good example of something that is harmed by our style of rating and our style of discussion, which takes everything into account rather than looking at individual episodes. Because as individual episodes, I think that the finale contains some of the best stuff throughout this entire series. Corey mentioned the visuals throughout some of the fight choreography. The humor is really on point. There are really good emotional moments. Well, we're not there yet, but when we get to, to the, the Agni Kai, one of the best scenes in this entire series. And I love so much about it. That being said, I am going to be quite negative throughout this for a couple of reasons. The first is, I love this show. I think this is, in my opinion, the greatest piece of television ever made. And I think it's fair to be hard on something that I consider to be that good. And two, I do think that this finale, while it does many, many things right, is a little bit subject to the fundamental problem that finale, the pressure of a finale, where you feel the need to go so big that you kind of forget the plot. You kind of forget where you're going. And the fact of the matter is, there's no way around it. The Lion Turtle, for me, is really frustrating for how much it zaps Aang's character. And Corey brought up a little bit that, you know, well, it does allow Aang to sort of have his, keep his humanity and, and, and come out of this okay. And, all right, that's fine, I guess. It's not bad. It's just, it could have been so much more. And one of the things I, I wonder deeply about, and I, I want to touch on here at the start before we get into the episode, is... I think it's pretty universally accepted, and I, I, I ask you guys if you would agree, that Zuko is the more beloved and sh stronger remembered character from this series compared to Aang. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. Wait, say that again? That Zuko, that Zuko is, is the more fondly remembered character than Aang. That people look at Zuko's arc as the significantly stronger arc throughout the series. And Zuko is sort of remembered as the sort of the pinnacle of this of this show. I mean, no, no, Corey, go ahead. Corey froze. Corey froze. So you go ahead, Charles. Ah, uh, I I guess that's true. But it, there's kind of an inherent advantage to being able to have a full uh, turned around story arc, like. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's generally the case for series that have the straightforward hero and the, you know, redeemed or anti-hero or the, you know, the pseudo-villain or the hero mm -hmm. with darker tendencies. Like, fucking, eh, you ask most people that read DC Comics, they most of them like Batman more and Superman. And that's just because... If you're inherently the good guy, there's not a lot of places you can go with that character design. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, um, I, mm -hmm. you guys hear me? Yeah, we can hear. You. Yeah, we can hear. You. I, I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I think that yes, there are. Zuko is a an easy is a character with a higher ceiling, just by definition, as a as sort of the redeemed you know villain turned hero. But I do wonder. A little bit about what we think of this show 
what do we think of Aang versus Zuko? It's the finale. Because I think without question, Zuko has the stronger arc in the finale. Zuko facing off against Azula is a significantly stronger culmination of his character struggle. The redeeming of the Fire Nation, regaining his own honor, regaining the honor of the Fire Nation, as as Iroh says. Then Aang having a big battle and winning a fight. I think I think the only, I guess you could say, I'm not going to say it's an issue, because uh, I really did like Aang, especially in, these, as I mentioned, the first two episodes, and the rest of the, the finale, that is. But I think Zuko has a lot more of a defined character arc. Like, it's, it's just, like, completely clear. I think Aang had a lot of stop-go, stop-go. Like, you know, he started in season one as completely immature, childish, running away from his problems, just wanting to be a kid. And then he, like, kind of evolves into it, but then also snaps back sometimes randomly based on what the episode is. And I think here is some of his better work, actually. I I really enjoy the internal struggle because I think it it, it makes everything go whole. His teachings, he was he's a vegetarian, he's not to hurt any living things. So that's why I like how it all snaps together. In fact, it's kind of like the anti-Zuko where he's doing everything he can to stay what he was before all of this and not become something new. All right. All right. I, I I have a lot to say about that, but I want to I want to get to that when we when we start to get into Aang's character because we can talk about the beginning of the episode um just a little bit and you know, it's fun. It's there's something really great about in the an, oh, basically the opening of the finale there is a moment of Sokka screaming beach party that I I don't know. There's a nice I like I like the little bit of jovial nature to the start. That was fun seeing the the, the sand the sand bending um, and I did like the kind of weird, like kind of fun Toph makes the bossing say, and then eventually Zuko kind of destroys it with fire. It's kind of a nice little foreshadowing y that the, you know, a firebender is going to retake bossing say now. So I guess the, the one question I want to ask before we get into the, the, the crux of Aang, which, which I want to spend a lot of time on, do you think that it's weird that they haven't had this conversation before? That they have this conversation about the comet right here. You mean Zuko first bringing up what his father intends to do? Do you think that there is any reason other than the fact that they just wanted to put it in the finale to be like, the, let's kick off the finale? Does it make sense that this that this conversation didn't happen a while ago. Yeah, I would think it would be the first thing he'd want to tell Team Avatar is what his dad's intentions are. Even whether he thought Aang was going to stop him during Sozin's or not, that is, like, key information. <laughs> you, you know? Is it really, though? Well, I mean, I was going to say the I was gonna say the opposite. You would think, wouldn't Zuko be like, so what's the plan to take down my father? And just didn't ask? No, I that that I I mean sure I see what you're saying, but I think like obviously they're training and like like I think Zuko you know like he knows that's what Zuko and Te- like thought that they were just gonna fight before well, so well, I I can under I can at least buy Zuko's excuse that's like he was ashamed he didn't want to bring it up specific, like out of his own fear like I can accept like that's reasonable to me I mean it's a little ridiculous but like okay fine I get that I don't really understand how like. He hasn't asked them what the plan, like how they literally have not talked about the plan at all. That just feels that feels weird to me, and I just and this is kind of we're gonna. 
it's like he made a lot of assumptions based on things that he may have thought they knew or may have thought they had considered because for him the obvious the only decision the only practical decision is go before the comment right mm -hmm. and if that's the you know if that's your assumption then the details of what Ozai plans to do during the comment are unnecessary because you'll have one or lost prior to that event. Well, I'm saying, well, I'm saying, I'm less, I am less, I have less issue with Zuko not bringing up the plan, the the Fire Lord's plan, than I have Zuko not inquiring as to what the plan is to stop the Fire Lord before three days before, in theory, that plan needs to go into effect. No, no, I mean that's that. For me, that's also part of his assumption, right? That. A, they would go early, and so B, he doesn't need to tell them about what happens if they go late. Like he, he'd already assumed they planned to go before the comet. I just, it feels like a weird assumption that you get to, like, it's like it's one thing if this was a week before or a month before, but like, you waited until three days before to be like, hey guys, what's the plan? Hey, we know Zuko and long-term planning not exactly. Uh, that's, a, that's, a reasonable that's a reasonable point. They ain't gonna, they ain't gonna, okay, I, I guess. So I guess this gets at I think my sort of my central theme of, of of the review of this finale that I within this episode it's fine. It works perfectly well in this episode as like the start of the episode, the thing that kicks off the entire finale. Once you put it in the context of the entire show and a show that has been really great throughout the throughout its lifespan as with subtle <laughs> slow-paced storytelling it does feel a little like let's just dump a whole bunch of information on uh, on the team and by extension bond the audience that we didn't know so that we can heighten the tension of the finale so that we could have had sort of some relatively light jovial episodes before this and i i understand that i understand it probably would have been impossible to to sort of pull off the episode, like, you could not order the episodes differently. There's no real way to, to do that. I mean, I guess you theoretically could just change the quote-unquote time frame, but it's not going to, like, fundamentally that doesn't really matter. But I just, I'm wondering, like, what is this? I think it does hurt the overall arc of the show in a way that it, in a way that it doesn't hurt the episode. Does that make sense? I guess yeah. I, I I wasn't thinking about that actively during that that conversation. I was more so more like miffed that he didn't tell them about what his dad's plans were. Mm -hmm. So so how how great is is Toph as Melon Lord? She she's 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 fun. I like we like Toph. All right, so. They go through their, uh, you know, their their practice. Aang refuses to uh, strike down uh, the Melon Lord in this case, and sort of comes to this realization that he's not he is not in a position to kill Oza. He does not want to to take a life. And this is this is fundamentally what I was getting at. And and for me, to me, this is the the fundamental question of Aang's character. Aang's character arc is, who am I? Am I an Airbender? Or am I the Avatar? Am I an airbender who is built on freedom, pacifism, detachment from the world, and all of this, the teachings of air, uh, of air nomad culture? Or 
am I the central political and social figure on earth whose job is to, through the power of the force of my will and the power of my fighting ability, keeping the balance of the world in check? And those two things are completely at odds with one another. Like, one is all about responsibility and you know, duty, and the other is about freedom and enlightenment. And you can't, you just can't be, you cannot put those two things together without losing one side. And throughout this entire show, I mean, one of the, the, the end of the first, you know, I guess technically the second episode, but the first, the first two episodes is Aang saying, I never wanted to be the Avatar. Throughout this entire show, Corey sort of said it in his intro, it's Aang jockeying between really really like all right he's actually all in on being the avatar or nope he's completely detect you know checked out and is just a goofy kid and whatever and throughout this this show the the natural progression of ang's character arc is this so first i want to say some of the, the good things i think they do for one thing i really like that they have set up ozai to be un just just completely unbelievably evil to the point that there is no defense of him as he doesn't deserve anything that he got even ang says the world would be a better place without him i am not defending him this is not a question of ang saying well are we sure doesn't he you know doesn't he deserve another chance or anything along those lines this is cut and dry the only question ang is saying is i was taught to respect human life and I am refusing, and I am being told I have to take human life for my my era, avatar responsibilities. And to me, that is the that's Aang's character arc, right? Like that question is that not like the case? The only thing I would counter is I I don't think it's a blanket statement that he doesn't want to be the avatar because I think he likes being the avatar where it's as like kind of like a mediator and like a diplomat. Can you can you give me an example where Aang seems genuinely happy that he is the Avatar? I'm not, happy is maybe not the word. I think he's in his stride as the Avatar, with the authority of being the Avatar. Again, when he's more of a diplomat. Like again, I'll I'll find an episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there, he his his Avatarhood is is fundamentally more pacifistic. But do you if Aang could choose, is there any point in the show where if you had said to Aang you could just not be the Avatar anymore. Is there any point in the show do you think he would say no? Um, no. I guess not. But I think, I think though, he enjoys being the Avatar where he's able to be a conflict mediator, like, again, through, like, diplomacy. I mean, I, I think he prefers that, but I think that he would prefer if he just didn't have the responsibility at all. I just, I think back to, like, again, I know it's not anyone's favorite episode, but, like, the divide, where he clearly used his authority to try to, you know. Yeah, but that's not an episode where Aang is like, I'm in my element, this is great. Aang literally has a moment in that episode where he's talking to the, 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 the canyon guide and is like, it's lonely here, isn't it? It's lonely as the peacemaker. And Aang is like... Yeah, I wish I was there with the, with friends and just sitting by a campfire. And he's like, "No, I can't because I have to be neutral." How about the uh, 
there's a pair of episodes where he goes to deal with the uh, mountain spirit. So it's it's not it's not a pair. It's the same. It's the big part one of Winter Solstice uh, before he meets Roku. It's the spirit world. Yeah, sorry, you're right. It was just part one of that. Um, yeah, I, I think Aang would have, and yeah, in the expanded universe, we we kind of see how different avatars have treated the whole bridge between spirits and people differently. I think that if he could just deal with the spiritual aspects, he'd probably be okay with that. I mean, I think that air airbenders in general are pretty in tune with the spirit world in the, in the, in the first place. So I think that would be that part of the quote unquote, that part of the job is okay. But I don't think Aang has any desire to be a part of world affairs, to be responsible for world affairs. I think that he is, if he were to get in that situation, he would deal, he would help. But I don't think that he... I think the idea for Aang that it is his responsibility to take out Ozai is something that he is, I just don't think he likes it. And that to me is what this, what this question is about. And the reason that I'm upset here is we'll never get an answer to the question because the lion turtle shows up and gives him the perfect answer. And I thought about this a lot. I, I mean, this is this is maybe the, the thing I've thought about within Avatar the most, which is all right. You have two solutions to this this problem of okay, the lion turtle shows up and gives Aang the, the perfect weapon against Ozai, which is in the end it, it's a Deus Ex Machina. There's no other way around it. The lion turtles have never been mentioned. They just show up at the perfect time for really no reason. You could literally call the lion turtles a god and essentially call this an, a literal Deus Ex Machina. And I don't like that. That's, that's, I think that's not good. So you kind of have two solutions. Solution one, what I would call the less interesting solution is, okay, you have set up the, the place you want to go is Aang learns energy bending and stops Ozai from, from bending again through the lion turtle, which, okay, then why is this not a quest? Why is this not the book one finale where Aang needs to get help from the spirits. So he is told, go into the spirit world, find Ko, have Ko tell you the what you know how to find the moon and an ocean spirit. Okay, he tells you, you find out it's the Koi fish, you come back, you tap into their power, you you defeat the, the, the invasion. That, I think, is one of the greatest episodes of television I've ever seen. I love it. It's amazing. You could go that route. You could go, okay. Aang says, I won't kill him. And the team says, all right, what could we possibly do to stop this? Have them figure out, okay, the answer is energy bending. The answer to energy bending is finding a lion turtle. Aang goes on some quest to find a lion turtle. He finds a lion turtle. Lion turtle gives him the energy bending. And you send Aang on his way to fight the fireboard. To me, that's option one. You leave basically everything else the same. Great. Option two is do it. Actually ask the question that you were set up. So I'm going to ask you a question. Lion Turtle does not show up. Aang is forced to face the Fire Lord. What happens? If, if I, I honestly think if if the Lion he would they would go into the fight, 
he would hesitate and he would die. I think Zuko's right. <laughs> okay. I mean, okay. that basically happens, and and then he gets lucky. No, you can you can talk about it. It's fine. Yeah, but you know, it basically happens, and then he gets lucky, and then enters the full Avatar state. And and, then... and and also, oh, actually, that's actually a good point. Maybe he hesitates. It's like a fatal blow, and the Avatar state saves him, and then he's able, maybe even able to kill him in the Avatar state. But just to go back to the episode where, uh, uh, oh my God, what's his name? I can't believe I'm blanking. I'm so tired right now. In oh <laughs> our episode. Hold on. In 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 uh, fortune teller. No. Um. Hold on one second. Uh, Sokka. Wow, I can't believe I just blocked that. Forgot that. Sokka's <laughs> name. I don't know Ooh. how it happened. I was. I kept thinking Zuko in my head. If it's not Zuko, I'm okay. Anyway, Sokka was making fun of Aang for not destroying the melon head. He's like, look, I'll do it myself, and he smashes it. When does Sokka ever kill? I, I, I don't think Sokka could kill that easily. Um, it's a reasonable point. I don't know, but I think I don't think he would have hesitated with, with the Fire Lord. Yeah, I don't think he would have been in that position, but... I, I think Katara could have, but we're not having another could Katara kill a firebender discussion because we did that twice. I... Well, we're not saying we're not saying could they pull it off. We're saying would they go through with that? Um, I don't know. I just I don't necessarily know the answer to that question, and I'm I really wish we got to see it. I really wish we got to see Ang reckon with this and be forced to reckon with this choice more completely because as much as he is you know goes through it and listen you know we'll, we'll get to his past lives in a minute just it we never get an answer and i i'm i'm disappointed i just i'm disappointed that we never that that in the end the answer to the question of which side did i have to choose was don't choose lion turtle saved you and i just don't I don't love that. I think that's I think that's disappointing to me. I mean, uh, there's a lot of ways you could you could have achieved a mirrored outcome while keeping uh, Ozai alive, but probably without energy bending, the goes into Avatar state and the generally more violent natures of the past avatars would just have had him kill in that moment. I think That's... any ending with him dying would have been a bad well, I'm not saying I wanted Aang to kill him. What I'm saying is No, no, I'm not saying I wanted, I, I'm not saying I wanted Ozai to die. What I'm saying is I wanted a more I wanted an actual answer to the question. If, if the answer is Aang wouldn't have done it that's fine and maybe there is a way to do that you know maybe ang does subdue him maybe you know we'll see we could you know writers can can make up whatever they want it to be but i just i just don't think we ever get the answer i think that the answer just kind of come like because here's here's i think my fundamental problem with all this 
let's say, and Aang even says it earlier in the episode. Aang says, well, maybe we could use glue bending and bend his arms together so he can't bend anymore. If someone said to Aang, what if you could take his bending away with magical power? Aang would have said yes instantaneously, right? This was a solu- an, an automatic solution to this to the question without there's no there's no thought to it. It's just it is the perfect answer to the question that just comes to Aang because the lion turtle decides I guess I should give Aang this power. Yeah, no, I I generally don't like Deus Ex Machina's at all. I just seeing Aang the way he acts and you know again we're talking about part one and part two right now. Um, it just I I'm less harsh on it because there's there's really a hard way there's really no graceful way to write at it because if you go with your solution and he's able to go on like a spirit quest to find out how to do this energy bending, then that takes away the drama of the finale knowing that Aang has this perfect solution that is comfortable for him. The, the best part about this entire four-part finale is not knowing what Aang is going to do. And sure, it's like this is kind of disappointing at the end when it's just like a deus ex machina at the end, but the entire time they're stringing you along on this adventure not knowing what how it's going to conclude. Well, I, I agree with you. I just wish that that actually happened. I wish that we went through this adventure and didn't know what Aang was going to do and then we'll he was put in a situation where he didn't know what he was going to do and he was forced to make a choice. And I just, I, I, I just wish it wasn't, I just wish it wasn't the case. I just do. It bothers me. There's very little else for me to say. I just, it annoys me. Um, so, we have to talk about something. Why does Toph never get her life-changing field trip with Zuko? Well, they, they kind of did, and then she tried to open up to him, and he didn't want nothing to do with it. Yeah, well. <laughs> do you wait? Was was she doing that because she has a crush on him? No, I don't. Because like, wrong. it looked like she was flirting with him. Toph yeah, gets I around. Think, I think Toph flirts with everybody. Yeah. Nope. So Frank. Yeah, but that's because that would just be weird. Fair. All right, so I guess this is just going to kind of be a theme now of do you wish things had happened sooner? We essentially, outside of like the one line of her yelling at the the palanquin walkers, do you think it's weird that we really don't get anything about Azula's breakdown until episode three of the finale? Uh, No, because at this point... She's in a good. She first off, she was just offered her promotion to, I guess, Fire Lord, and. What do you mean she? Wait, hold on, Corey. What changes between now and episode three for her to go from a good place to a not good place? And you know, it's funny. I I stopped after episode two, so I don't remember how. Well, episode three is suddenly, before her coronation, her freaking out because she is seeing the ghost of her mother and... Well, there you go. Then she started seeing the ghost. Well, yeah, but that was internal. That was because of the stress that was caused because she lost Tylee in May and was... Right now, she's repressing all of her things, and I think that ghost of her mother 
in part three is because of it's just a result of what was happening this entire time. I think it's that, and also she says Firelord is a fitting title, but uh, I think she knows at some level that that's still kind of a put down. I disagree. Well, she's clearly at this point in air. Like, what is she hoping? That Ozai is just like, you're the Phoenix King. No, it's, it's that, you know, Dad's gonna go take over the world. No, you're not responsible enough to come with me. You just stay at home. Oh my god, you guys just, I think you guys already know this, but in terms of, she has like the opposite arc and problems of, as, as Zuko, where Zuko only wanted the acceptance of her, his dad and the people, and that's what was bothering him most of the series. She has the opposite, where she's always had the acceptance of her dad and the people, but she doesn't have, like, now she's lost all of her friends, and she has like no network and people that actually... Yes, Azula lost her friends, no, and that's I, what caused her to go crazy. I'm, a, I'm aware of that. I'm just saying, like, that is, I think, right now, what leads her to, like, this breakdown. Yeah, yeah, well, yes, yes. I, I think that's clear, yeah. I I don't know. I, I see what you're saying, saying, Charles, and I think that you're not... I think there's some truth to that. I think that she, you know... She feels as it's it's less of a put down and more of a loss of control because if if she had made the choice to stay behind as the Fire Lord, that would be different. But because her father kind of told her and quote unquote put her in her place. So she was sort of she lost the control of the situation and she was sort of forced to, um, you know, kind of bend to his will. I do think that that, you know, helped to, to, to shake her her psyche a little bit. I don't know. I just I think. You come off of Boiling Rock Part 2, and it's it's May and Tylee being escorted out, and then it's we have this one episode in Ember Island Players where Azula doesn't show up, and then it's in the finale, and now Azula's about to, to kind of, you know, lose her mind. I guess there was Southern Raiders. I forgot. There was Southern Raiders is in is in the middle there. Um, and she she is in that. And I guess she's a little, little crazy, but I don't know. She's not that much more, you know, of a crazy person there than, than she is in anywhere else. So I, I just think that... I think that we could have gotten a little more. There's another example of like, within this episode, it's fine. Within the finale, the stuff we see is perfectly fine. But it is a little, let's just throw this into the finale as opposed to setting it up earlier. And again, I just think in some shows, I would have no problem with that. In this show, that that really does try hard to be subtle, a little more, it's a little more annoying. If you're one of those people, kids, whatever, that that lives off of your parents' approval, and you basically gave up on one, right? Like, fucking her mom thought she was a monster, she knew her mom thought she was a monster, so all she's got is old man Ozai. And Ozai's like, yeah, you know, I'm about to take over the world, stay home. So, what you're arguing is... 
Azula's breakdown has more to do with this moment in this episode than anything else. That that this loss of control and this essential, like, stay here, child, do as you're told, is, is, well, is the I mean, true that, crux of Azula's breakdown. Less the stay here, do what you're told, and more the you're not good enough to come with me. I don't okay. want you with me. Okay, I can... I can buy that. I can Especially get... given that, you know, fucking Ozai's her only source of authority or family, basically, in this entire thing. Because mm-hmm. God knows uh, her mother doesn't like her. I would... <laughs> so, yeah. That, yeah. That's, that is reasonable. And I, I, I hadn't really thought of it that way, and I think that's, I think that's fine. I think if you, if you want to... If you go that route, then it's perfectly fine how it's how it's depicted throughout the whole show. So we get we get some nice callbacks here at the end of end of part one. Um, I did really like that the song then they walk into the bar is the song that they played in the headband. That was a nice little oh that sounds familiar. And June, what a what a heat check from June. She is something else, isn't she? Just her in this bar, murdering, you know, dealing with Earth Kingdom guys, and then, you know, just shows up on her on her sheer shoe. Um, yes, Appa definitely ate Momo. That one was a little weird. It was funny, but I don't know. It was like Sokka, really? Mm-hmm. All right, part two, the old masters. In this episode, we get to meet the rest of the Order of the White Lotus, and Aang has several interesting conversations with his past lives. So, I have a lot to say about those conversations, but those conversations with the past lives are going to heavily go into spoilers for all of Legend of Korra, and more importantly, the two Kyoshi novels, Rise and Shadow of Kyoshi. I am going to give my thoughts on those afterwards when I am off uh, of the mic from Corey and Charles because they have not read them, and I will uh, give you a, a chance to, to skip ahead when I, when I start that. So I will fill that in for you. So I want to give Corey and Charles a chance to talk about these things on their own, and I, I will, I'll comment on things they say, but I'll kind of keep my commentary for for later so how did you feel about well we can cover all um three of them at once ang's conversations with roku kiyoshi uh or four of them uh roku kiyoshi korik and yang chen charles why don't you start I mean, I think it's nice in a way because they all kind of admit their own like they admit that you know they, they are not perfect avatars. They, they they aren't best. They made mistakes, but they had they made the choices they had to, mm-hmm. and some Roku regretted his. Kyoshi was like, yeah, fuck it. 
<laughs> the outcome is fine. Not a problem. Uh, Uruk was like, well, I didn't do anything, and then that fucks me up, so that... Yeah, so, uh, I'm... I think it's nice, and especially when we go into... mid late Korra and there's that whole you can't she couldn't seek the same wisdom it's kind of nice to see that yeah this is actually a thing that you know they've been doing for no Korra no why not having that discussion right now oh don't worry we'll get there we will it, it might be a couple more years but you know oh, I don't know if that's true um Yeah, and I, so I, I really like their conversations because it's like it's like asking your seniors, but they're also kind of yourself, and they all bring up like they're not just saying go and do it. They're like, well, you know, for me, I did this, and yeah, you know, some regretted, some didn't. So I, I think it's I, I, I like them generally. I mean, yeah. I think the. Um, the Roku and Yang Chen ones might be most might have been most impactful, but mm-hmm. hard to hard to know. Okay, Corey, I loved it. It's like again, this is why I didn't mind. Again, I understand what you're saying about the ending, but I liked the way these episodes have been set up because the way it was framed was that every avatar had regrets like you know uh he he heard from avatar uh roku that he thought his hesitation in his duels what led to him dying and he has to you know you have to be decisive so that foreshadows or not foreshadows that that teases i guess that you know ang might just you know have to do it and then like the opposite indecisiveness is like led something so like it just as the viewer you're 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 strung along and i think like ang it just makes ang more confused as a result like do i have to be like more decisive or do I, you know laid back and everything is like leading into us thinking that like okay i have to make i have to make the hard decision and like i like how every avatar has regrets because that also would set up the tease or foreshadow that ang will eventually enter the spirit world and have regrets and i funny enough i think he ends up having it in cora because he's a shitty dad but uh i think like outside of that it's it's just good setup and leads you as the viewer on a string like maybe oh maybe he is gonna do it, and then just like end up in the spirit world with regrets just like the other avatars do So this is going to start the spoiler section for Rise and Shadow of Kyoshi. Me recording this on my own as my panelists have not read this novel and I do want people to have an opportunity. And while we always say here spoilers for, for everything, uh, this one I ex- respect that one one of these books came out just a couple of days, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, the novels themselves are maybe not the th- most popular thing currently within the canon, uh, although that should certainly change. Um, looking at what we see with these conversations between Aang and his past lives, we, it you know, 
it's the kind of thing that when I first watched the show, I, I took them pretty much exclusively at face value. They were, you know, Aang seeking advice and, you know, essentially failing to receive the advice he was hoping for. He was hoping that one of his past lives would give him the solution to some extent, would give him a, you know, the being allowed to be, allow him to not have to take Ozai's life. And while eventually the answer he's going to get is going to come from the lion turtle, at first these conversations were, were nice. They were a fun, sort of a fun moment to meet, to meet some new characters or at least spend a little bit of time with a character in Kyoshi we hadn't spent much with. But they didn't feel all that impactful. They were, you know, essentially all giving him pretty generic advice, you know, uh, and, and for the most part that, you know, came together. Roku says, you must be decisive. Um, Kiyoshi says only justice can bring peace. Um, Kurik says the uh, you have to you know you must actively shape the uh, direction of the world as the avatar. And even Yang Chen essentially says your own spirituality is not important here. What's important is the world. And all of that stuff is was interesting at the time. But having read Kiyoshi and now understanding Kiyoshi extremely well and getting significantly more context behind Avatar, Kure, uh, Avatar Kurik and even a little bit of Yang Chen, understanding who, who she was and her role within the world, these conversations suddenly mean a lot, have a lot more meaning behind them. Let's start with um, Kiyoshi, who, you know, we... Kiyoshi is kind of a legendary figure within within Avatar, and rightfully so. All we've seen from her within this show was the idea of this island that's completely devoted to to her legacy, and the understanding that she defeated Chin the Conqueror, stopped this 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 large scale war, and on some level ripped a continent in half to create an island, which which may be the most uh, powerful single feat of bending we've ever seen in this in this entire series, and as a result, Kyoshi has become this this sort of legendary figure of of destruction. And in this moment, at, at first, you you look at it again, sort of at face value, and you say, "Well, Kyoshi is that. Kyoshi is is an avatar who said, I am gonna I am gonna go for it. I am gonna gonna stop.'" Uh, chin at all costs and she doesn't she doesn't think like an airbender she thinks like an earthbender strong-willed rooted in her beliefs she was going to stop chin the fact that he quote-unquote died because of uh, of his own stubbornness as ang said is is not true kiyoshi in her mind she she took his life and and feels completely um okay with that with that belief and actually getting to see see Kiyoshi within within her own story that this is this is this is who she was that she was someone who was willing to take decisive action but of course knowing that part of the reason why she does that is because she comes she comes from an incredibly undecisive background one where she was not she didn't know she was the avatar until far later in her life than she was theoretically supposed to that she even thought someone else was the avatar and this you know this this adds just a nice little bit of extra context here for for kiyoshi having dealt with the things that she has having to make the choices that she does eventually the choice she's going to have to make when it comes to yoon it it kind of 
you know, it, it really changes this 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 conversation for me and makes you you start to understand what she's saying. Because at first you're kind of a little upset because you you know Ang is looking for 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 comfort. Ang is looking for someone to tell him how it's going to be okay. And Kiyoshi's basically saying to him, "Whatever, dude, kill the guy." And at first it feels like, "Wow, that's kind of callous." But once you realize what Kiyoshi's been through, you start to understand that she is is this way for for a reason this is on some level self self-preservation and and a way to a way to see that and i think that that's important it it, it definitely has changed the character of of this scene for me um and then we have avatar keurig an avatar that we don't we didn't know pretty much anything about i mean we knew that that he had some kind of problem with a spirit in in co but for the most part, we didn't know anything about about him, but actually getting to see what he's been through—the um, fact that he was, you know, taken from this world at an incredibly young age, the fact that he comes from, you know, it comes off of Yang Chen, this once again sort of legendary figure that that is is still, you know, is looked up to within within the annals of the world, and. For Keurig, who, who who sees that and is forced to deal with that legacy, you know, in many ways, Keurig knows on what Aang is going through in terms of you know dealing with with issues within the world. But you also start to realize his own his own shame here. I mean, he says, you know, people seem to work out their problems, but we learn that what that actually means is his friends, mainly Jinsu, worked out his problems, and he was 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 forced to to kind of detach himself from his own needs and and therefore or you know essentially lead down a massive line of depression one that that led him to 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 alcoholism and from from his you know need and and to kill and hunt spirits and you know that you know once again it, it just it adds something to this because Keurig is not someone who has a great advice as to what Aang is supposed to do Aang Keurig was detached from was more or less detached from world affairs his his struggles were, were almost entirely internal, and for him to see Ang as sort of this 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 you know this child who, you know, has a pretty good grip on things. I mean, if you look at it, Ang is is doing quite a bit better better than Kirk. You know, it, it's no wonder that he doesn't have the the capacity to sort of tell him something interesting. What is, what does he know about solving world? You know some kind of world-ending crisis like this it was not something he was ever you know w- was ever all that interested in and for some extent some of that disinterest comes from from his own internal internal problems um then you have yang chen which is probably the most interesting and, and ang will have later actions with yang chen within within one of the comics but this is another one of these ones where yang chen is a character we just didn't know really anything about i mean ang says you know, an, an airbending avatar. This is essentially the first um, introduction to, to Avatar Yang Chen we've ever seen, and you know, understanding within this world. I mean, Yang Chen lived a very long time ago. I mean, you know, Roku lived you know a reasonably long life. Kyoshi lived an incredibly long life. So you're talking about someone who was around you know maybe 400 years ago, if not 500 years ago, which is a pretty different different time. But Something that you you know you see once again. This is a moment where you were expecting. Okay, Ang's finally going to talk to an airbender. Ang's going to finally talk to someone who who gets what he wants. And you know, at first you're kind of frustrated. Why is why is an airbender you know even you know might understand Ang's desire not to not to take a life, but is essentially saying, you know what, you're the avatar. You have to put that. You have to put that first. You have to deal. You know, do that as 
um, that has to be your your guiding principle. And essentially, you know, she realizes that she had, you know, she her main failure was on not understanding the spirits, not understanding and not taking the holistic view of the world. You know, she essentially decided that the needs of, of people outweighed the needs of spirits. And that turned out to be a, a very big mistake. And, you know, for her to to have seen, gone through what she did and then, you know, to to see Avatar Keurig come in and be forced to sort of come into office with, with this, you know, when things are really bad and essentially, you know, didn't work and Keurig essentially ended up as, a, as kind of a placeholder avatar you know with with only there for a very short time you know, she's looking at this and saying I don't want Aang to be another one of those I don't want Aang to end up you know losing to the Fire Lord here essentially you know if, if he were to die here at, at this age even though yes technically he was the avatar for 112 years essentially we would only have been the avatar really for about a year. I mean, that's the amount of time he was was active as the avatar and force another one to come in and sort of be, you know, clean up the the issues that have have happened. And she is, you know, she is afraid of that and to to sort of say to Aang, you know, yes, spirituality is important, but you know what? In this moment that's that's not enough. You have to sacrifice those needs in order to better protect the world. It, again, it just adds a little bit of extra extra context to it and I think that this is you know, this is this is the kind of good world building. I mean, one of the one of the problems with with prequels in general is that you quote unquote know what's going to happen, and you you under, sometimes wonder why do they even exist. But I think that that the the Kyoshi novel does a really good job of sort of elevating the canon and teaching us about things that happened far enough in the past that we don't know exactly what's going to happen, but we at least get to learn things about characters even if necess- you know even if we might know some of the broad strokes so this is kind of my overall pitch to say you should read rise and shadow of kiyoshi i think they're really really phenomenal and i think they will will broaden your um understanding of of the avatar canon um they're not perfect for sure but there there's some really great stuff in there and i think that if you if you have always looked at these conversations and said you know god i kind of wish i could have known more about some of these avatars these are these are these are the novels novels for you. Okay, yeah, I, you know, I think that's that's all all interesting. All right, so the other half of the old masters is the the rest of the gang meeting up with the Order of the White Lotus, and couple of standout things. I have to say, I really like. You get the the conversation with Boomy where he talks about during the eclipse. I like that we get to see full power Boomy for a second. That he just you know wrecks an entire defense force of a city single handedly. It's just like, oh yeah, Boomy's pretty cool. And I, I I go back to kind of in in his intro episode back in the King of Omashu where he's like, I'm the strongest Earthbender you'll ever see. And of course in that moment he's you know clearly you know, dogging it against Aang. He's just kind of testing him a little bit. But it's it's like, wow, he wasn't just, like, taking it easy. He was taking it, like, preschool level. And he could have just, like, killed Aang. I mean, obviously he wouldn't have. But, like, oh, my God, Boomy is impressive. It, yeah. <laughs> not much not much more you can say about that. <laughs> how, 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 how do you feel about... Uh, all old people know each other. Don't you know that? 
I, I, I kind of, you know, it, it, it's a joke and I get that, but I do wonder like if there is something kind of to the idea that there aren't that many old people in this world. I mean, for one, it's, you know, essentially the 1800s people, life expectancy isn't exactly particularly long. And you add in a war where a lot of the older uh, men and does seem as though the order of the white Lotus is, is pretty male dominated um, at least this, at this point. And, you know, I, I do wonder about that line a little, like, is there something to the fact that the majority of older people that are surviving to this point are probably on the wealthier side, probably, you know, actually, you know, reasonably close to something like this because, you know, just because of combination of medical treatment and position in the war. So I don't know. I, it, obviously, it's a joke, and I don't think we're meant to read too into it. But I do wonder about that a little bit. Like, I wonder if there's something to that. To that. Medical? Boomy's fucking jacked. Like, you know, like I, he's, I think he's like a king and he's rich. Right, but and, like and the poor, old do, do, is. I'm wondering. Do, do you think that you know being poor means you have a lack of access to health care? No, I agree with you. I'm just saying to you. That, like, I don't think they need healthcare because I think they're just healthy because they're really in shape. I'm well, not saying, like, that like, excludes you from being sick, Mark, but I'm saying, like, I, I'm you making, know. I am making fun of Literally every single old pe- person knows each other. But I do, I do question a little bit of, like, the, you know, it, it's probably true that there aren't as many people at that age in this universe. And... A lot of them are probably, you know, on the wealthier side such that they would be potentially in an organization like the Order of the White Lotus, which is, you know, definitely, you know, uh, you know, upper crust society, you would expect. That's that's fair. I mean, Bumi's a regional monarch. Uh, Haka is... He doesn't rule. He's not chief. He's just he's just the the sort of elder waterbender. Legally speaking, he is not the chief, but he is he is and he is definitely of what you would call the aristocracy of the water tribe. If there was an actual, if there was one. He's chairman of the Joint Chiefs, essentially. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, oh, I, I understand how all, I'm just saying it, it's it's interesting to me that or not interesting, it just I don't know. I'm I wonder about that line sometimes just because, you know, I, I we're this show and we like to just go deep dives on lines for no real reason, but um speaking of old people camp um you know we get kind of one of our last moments of 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 iroh and and zuko together and i i adore the way they play this moment with with zuko entering the tent you know after you know not knowing what to say after katara giving him encouragement and to kind of just walk in and see iroh sleeping to me that's so fitting to what Iroh is because you, you have all this emotional weight and you're expecting this to be this this reunion right then and there and it's, it's, it's going to be powerful 
But I think Iroh, as his character, is sort of meant to be a reminder that you're still human. You still deal with shockingly normal human things. What does Iroh want to do when this is over? He wants to reclaim his tea shop and go back to making tea. And I think there's something just like kind of perfect for Iroh that he is sleeping and snoring in his bed at this moment because at the end of the day he's still human and humans need sleep and and Zuko doesn't wake him up he's not oh my god Iroh we need to talk he just goes ah he smiles realizes this is Iroh in his natural state and just waits for him to to wake up I don't know I, I always really love that and also the most Iroh line that's quoted I think by every Iroh lover it's the best response he ever could have had to him like like do you have any idea how much that heart like warmed not just obviously zuko but the viewer like that the that line about like i'm not mad at you you know i was just worried that you all i want to ask you a, a very very bad hypothetical Corey. what do you think would happen if zuko hadn't turned Hadn't turned. Zuko was still part of the Fire Nation. And Ozai was like, Zuko, my boy, I want you to go to Ba Sing Se and make sure nothing bad happens. You're in charge of Ba Sing Se. Yes, I'm asking you what Iroh would do. I think Iroh would do what... I don't know, because one part of me wants to say he'll do what he has to do in order to, like, I guess, protect the world with the White Lotus. But the other part of me is, like, Zuko's literally a son to him, so maybe... But, but what I'm just... going to say is, I, I read the reason I'm asking this is in that line, you know, Zuko, Iroh is saying, I was only worried because I thought you lost your way, which to me kind of says that Iroh wanted Zuko to be true to himself. Now, we can say, okay, Iroh just literally, like, Iroh knew Zuko was good. Iroh knew Zuko would turn to good in the end, and that's what he meant by that. But if you want someone to choose their own path, you kind of have to be willing to accept that that choice might not be morally right. And I wonder, for Iroh, who was a Fire Nation general who did try to take over Ba Sing Se in the name of the Fire Nation and eventually become Fire Lord. I wonder, like, how he would have dealt with, with Zuko if, if Zuko had um, sort of naturally decided on his own that his place was in the Fire Nation. I, I think there's two options. He does what he has... I think... As a White Lotus member and, like, someone that, like, doesn't want to see the entire Earth Kingdom go extinct, I think he would do what he has to do. So that, like, part of me wants to say that he would confront Well, I don't, even, I don't think there's any chance he could have killed Zuko. But that, I, I'm not even putting that on the table. I'm not saying kill, but I'm saying confront, fight. Mm -hmm. But then another part of me thinks that he would be, like, really utterly destroyed by Zuko doing this. And he just, like, would go and... fair i i don't know i obviously we're not, you know, one of the things we're never gonna answer to i just i question like i i love iroh he's great i'm not in any way calling iroh out but i do wonder with the line that you just said stated is there any is is iroh 
merely saying, I always knew you would make this choice, so I'm happy you finally made it, or if Iroh is actually genuinely of the opinion that he would have been okay with whatever Zuko decided as long as he decided it for himself rather than listening to Ozai and Azula. Just the, it's the perfect conclusion to that arc. Like, it really is. Like, oh, oh God. Oh, it makes everything worth it. I think knowing Iroh, probably the latter. He would have been fine if Zuko... And realistically speaking, at that point in the series, the, the skill and power difference between them is fucking massive. So it would not have been that difficult for Iroh to subdue Zuko in that kind of engagement. I'm not necessarily sure I agree with that, but I mean, he's been he's been working out in prison. He's got the like That's eight pack. True. That is true. He blew up the outer wall of Bossing Se by himself. Uh, that was during the comic. True. But we see Zuko during the comet, and he's not that much stronger. That's, yes, but he's also fighting within a... I, actually, I disagree with that. I think Zuko is very strong in, in that Agni Kai. Uh, sorry, relative to... Uh, okay. like, relative to what we see from but, Iroh. Uh, all right, that's, I, I, that's not... I don't think it would ever actually come to blows. I don't... Like, if... if Ozai had said, go defend Bossing Se, and Zuko was like, well, I'm not really following your orders, but because we took it over, it makes sense to go and defend it. What would the outcome have been? They just avoid each other? No, that's I don't not... Know. I, I honestly have no idea. I, I, I think Corey might be right that it, Iroh might just not be able to handle it and just leave. Open his tea shop, you know, just... I don't. I don't think we could have ever. Obviously, they have a different relationship, but there's no way we're getting. Then you are lost. Anakin versus Obi Wan. Yeah, I, that's not an outcome. I'm. I guess. I guess you could just send Boomy. It's true. Boomy would have just wrecked Zuko. Yeah. Big style. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, but it, I feel like with Iris' personality, it probably would have. If Zuko really did come to that conclusion on his own, he might not have been as happy about it, but he would have been accepting of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of how I think. I mean, I, I, I think at the end of the day, Iroh knew that Zuko was a good person and knew that there was no way Iroh, Zuko could have legitimately chosen um, anything else. So I, I, I'm not, like, I don't think this would have really come about. I, I think that, like, in, in many ways, this was the only way it could have gone. But I don't know. It's just one of my little questions about Iroh, sort of the philosophy of, of, of the Dragon of the West that I'm curious about. Um, Corey, you, you could have said, like, the line that everyone loves um, is that one. And I, I think that's a great line. I think it's, you know, I don't have any problem with it. I personally think the later line that, that Iroh gives when they're, uh, when Sokka asks him, what is our destiny? And his response is, what do you think it is? That, I love that line so much. I love how that encapsulates the idea of this, you choose your own life. That 
for the for Zuko and Iroh, the, the, the central question for, for Zuko has been, do you choose your destiny? Can you choose your what your destiny is? That he has said, you know, forever, his destiny was to capture the Avatar, and he finds out instead his destiny is something else. And and for, for Iroh, he had thought his destiny was to conquer Ba Sing Se. And as he says, it turns out it was to retake um, Ba Sing Se for the Earth Kingdom. And I I just love the way he delivers that to, to Sokka, which is sort of this, allow, you know, giving them kind of the, kind of in many ways, the ultimate pep talk where, you know, what destiny is, is, is essentially meaningless. It doesn't actually matter. It's not going to influence their actions all that much, but to essentially almost tell them you have the power. I am not going to tell you what to do. Destiny isn't telling what you're going to do. You are deciding your own destiny today. And I, I don't know. I just, that to me, I, I love that line so much. Um, I guess, you know, the last, the last thing I'll say, I mean, we, we, we talked at length about the, about the lion turtle. So I don't, I don't want to, we don't have to hash that out that much more, but I do love the way it looks. There's just a, it is just so massive and incredible. And the, the, the music that plays, I, all of that put together, like visually speaking and kind of where the, the, the sort of presentation of the lion turtle, I think is, is phenomenal. So give, I'm totally willing to give it credit for that. Um, yeah, I just don't love how they use it in this episode. It's okay. Um, all right. So I, I don't think there's that much more to say. I mean, I, obviously the next two episodes are kind of, you know, this, this is, is certainly the kind of the setup in these two episodes. And then we're going to move into a, you know, the, the, the real action oriented, uh, part of the finale, um, in our, in our next two. Um, so do you have any, have any sort of closing thoughts here. I mean, we'll, we'll do a rating for the full, the finale as a whole, um, later on, but, uh, do you guys have any, any, any thoughts about the kind of these two parts just kind of in general before we, you know, move into the, into the next part? I would just say to reiterate like this, I, if you're on the ride for the first time and obviously you're not spoiled anything and you're, you're watching avatar for the first time, I think, Really, up until like the the ending, it, it's phenomenal because there's so much tension, not knowing what's going to happen, and I think like again, like you're you're seeing the best of Avatar at full display right now, like between the emotional scenes with Zuko and Iroh, the animation, the humor, and even just the tension, and like everything is just done flawlessly. So like again, if you're on this roller coaster for the first time, like and you're that you made it to the, the finale on Netflix and you have like an hour and a half, like by this point, you're just like, I think you're just completely on board. So I think right now, not knowing what part three and four is, I think you're, you're in a really good place right now. Okay. I want you to keep watching. Charles. Yeah. I mean, it... <sighs> this set, this part of the four is really it's really good as a set, you know, as a two-part setup, right? You you get some, you get some closure, you get some exposition. You have some reflection on Ang's part. There's, you know, so 
it's like that good old mix of Avatar seriousness and comedy that we've all come to really enjoy. And uh, it's nice to see that even in this pretty epic finale, they can still, you know, bring out that feeling. Um, especially, uh, personally, I think I enjoy the, like, part two with the White Lotus Camp the most. It's, uh, and like Corey said, the Ira line there is just a classic. Yeah. So I'm going to do something very weird, and I'm going to completely agree with Corey. And that's just weird for me. I think that this is a, a perfect example of, of a set of episodes that is hurt the most by the thoughts from Aunt Wu premise. I think taken individually, these episodes are absolutely phenomenal. I think, as Corey said, if you're watching this for the first time and don't know where you're going, you are on the edge of your seat. You're like, oh my God, what's what's coming next? And until you get to the, the ending and, and realize what the, the answer is, do you... You have really, I have no problems with this. This is this is so incredibly well put together episodes of television. That being said, we are thoughts from our and we rate these episodes based on the entire knowledge of the series, and in this case, the entire knowledge of the finale. And unfortunately, because of that, I, I can't help but harp on these things that I think are slightly less good than they could have been. And look, I said at the top, I'm going to say it at the end. These are phenomenal. The finale of, the, of Avatar Last Airbender is phenomenal. I am merely saying it is not as good as it could have been, which that's okay. You're not always going to, to hit a home run. You're not always going to get an A+. This is still really, really good. And I think these episodes, taken individually, are incredibly well done. Taken as a whole, there are more problems, and we've talked about them quite a bit here, and we'll continue to talk about them next week. And I think... It's perfectly valid to talk about those things, but you have to be willing to say this is one of the best finales that there is, and this this setup for the finale is essentially within within the context of these episodes flawless. So hats off, really, really well done. We will be back soon with the second part of this finale, and so tune into that, and that will wrap up Avatar: The Last Airbender. So thank you to Corey and Charles for joining me on this journey, not just in Avatar, but in this episode in particular. And we will be back for the finale.